Do you hear that sound? No, that is not a muffler. That <laughs> is the sound of the waves crashing against a bay. A very car-like bay. What is not just any bay. It's a bay watch. Because this is a bay watch podcast. In fact, this is Bay Watch Rookie School. A podcast where two men who have never watched Baywatch before try and watch Baywatch. I'm Michael Eisen. And I'm Morgan Vroom Vroom Thrap. Oh, wow. Look at you. <laughs> Hardcore car man. You see, we have to be uh, we have to be playful here because this episode mm-hmm. is not. <laughs> no, 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 it isn't. This is it a is sad episode. Depressing and sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've had episodes this depressing before, but it's this just one in a minute. Yeah, I forget, you know, with all the dumb shit. Mm-hmm. On this show, I forget this is a show about lifeguards. Yes, yeah. You know? <laughs> this is the most focused on the lifeguarding they've been in a long time. It was yeah. interesting. I mean, I don't want a lot more of it, but every now and then, yeah, it's maybe you know we'll we'll talk about it more as we get into the episode. But it is interesting every once in a while to be like, oh, oh, right, some of them actually can write. Um, at least what? better than what we normally see. Well, who wrote this? This being Baywatch Season 4, Episode 8, Submersion, uh, was once again David, no relation to Zach Braff, uh, who has wrote a bunch of stinkers, too. And it's directed by Gus Draconis, who has also directed a bunch of stinkers. So what yeah. happened? Like, what was different here? I don't yeah. know. Um but it was there November 1st, 1993. Let's talk about some guest stars. Yay. Um, Susan Savage plays Nurse. Wow. I'm sure mm-hmm. I know which one that is. Mm-hmm. She was in last season's Shattered as the nurse at the front desk who told Mitch, we don't have visiting doctors. Ah, okay. Yeah. So it seems like they typecast her as role we don't care about, you know. Um, <laughs> next up. We have Janet Ilber, E-I-L-B-E-R. I don't know how to pronounce that. Ilber? Uh, she plays Darla Clark, the mom of the kids. In oh, okay. Um, you may know her from Hard to Hold, where she plays Diana Lawson. In this movie, Rick Springfield is a famous rock star. <laughs> okay. Um, who falls in love with a child psychologist who only likes the classics and has never heard of him. Oh, no. That sounds really bad. It does sound really bad. She also appears in a TV movie we discussed very early on in this podcast, like maybe episode one or two, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, do you know the Muffin Man? Oh, I do vaguely remember talking (laughs) about this. It's like a season one reference, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. A police officer and his wife are shocked to find that molestation has been going on at the neighborhood daycare. They're devastated when they find that their own son may be a victim too. Victim too. Should they have known? Should they have seen? That's the IND plot. I don't like that last line. No, that's bad. Uh, yes, they should know about this. <laughs> All should of they have seen it. Bad. Yeah. Um, she was also in The Craft, which is a very good movie, and everyone should see that. Oh, yeah, I've always meant to watch that. I've heard good things. Yeah, it's one of those uh, witch movies, and it's, uh, I think all of the witch movies are probably good. It's hard to mess up a movie about witches. Like, 
Okay, hmm. controversial opinion time. Uh, <laughs> not that controversial. I think one of the easiest things to write movie-wise is um, like stories about groups of women growing up because all of them do the exact same thing. So they all have like something to base it off of, right? Mm-hmm. They're all like high school women who deal with the same three plot points. <laughs> and we've proven that those movies can be good. So they just do the same thing again and again. So it's never bad. It's never like great, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like, it's easy to write it. I think I mean, like, mm-hmm. I would argue that more that it's it's a genre where a lot of male writers are willing to be very lazy, but sure. However, how, I, y- yes, <laughs> I will agree. Um, but at the same time, they're very lazy because they know it's good. Mm-hmm. Think about the alternative, which is the lazy male writers of the male one versions where it's always like American Pie offshoots. Yeah. Those are bad. Yes. So it's more, it's easier. If you're look. if you're at a video store, a video store who goes to those anymore. You um, say that, but I've been going to Scarecrow like at least once oh, a week for the past few months. Scarecrow's great. I, I love Scarecrow. Uh, yes. I finally ended up subbing at their um, like $100 a month or $100 a year membership level. Um, yeah. Because you get cheaper rentals that way, and I realized yeah. it would pay for itself. <laughs> yeah, uh, support your local uh, your local movie stores. Yeah, please. If you're okay, let's say you're at a video store, mm-hmm. and you have in front of you a like teen male hijinks versus teen female hijinks. Which one do you think is going to be better? No, that's definitely fair. Um, speaking of, I did finally see Clueless for the first time um, uh-huh. recently. And man, if you need a clearer example of the sexism of Hollywood, the fact that Amy Heckerling did not have a bigger career, my fucking God, Um, because both Clueless and, oh, fuck, um, why can't I remember the other movie that she did that was big? I keep wanting to say Dazed and Confused, which I think might be it. Wait, Um, I'm looking it up. uh, No, Fast Times at Ridgemont. Fast Times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Those other movies are such... They're so good, both of them, and such powerhouses. Um, oh, Sean Penn's in Fast Times at Ridgemont High? He sure is, as Spicoli, I believe, if I remember that movie correctly. Yes. No, I mean, you know, it's a very 90s coming-of-age teen drama, and it's I have a soft 82. spot for those. Fast Times is 82. Oh, yeah, shit, it is 82. Very 80s teen yeah. coming-of-age drama. Maybe I should watch that tonight after this. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I also haven't seen Clueless in forever. Oh, she also did European Vacation, National Lampoons, which I have not seen in forever. Um, but yeah, Clueless was 95. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I just feel like it's ridiculous that she didn't have a bigger career. Oh, agreed. I mean, I, this is obviously not talking about Baywatch, of course. Uh, mm. Think about, like, okay, maybe the last... 15, 20 years, big female directors who like, by big, I mean like won an Oscar or something like that. I can think of maybe one or two, maybe just the one. I mean, so, well, female directors that have won Oscars, there's been, I believe, nine of them in all of history. So, right. But that's my point Um, is like, 
it's sexist. <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you know, you've got um, like Jane Campion won this year, very well deserved because Power of the oh. Dog was great. I did not follow the Oscars at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, she was, I believe, the first ever female director to win two Oscars for directing. Um, what was the other one she won? Uh, for The Piano. The Piano? Yes, it's uh, 90-something. Um, oh, okay. It's very good. Um, Never heard of it. Huh, interesting. Um, yeah, 93. Um it's it's the movie that like put her on the map. Um, it's v- incredibly good. Um, Holly Hunter and Harvey Keitel and Sam Neill doing like this like very weird romance ish period movie kind of um, interesting. Yeah, all the like if ish stuff is like has me intrigued. Where you're like it's genre bending. Okay, a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's set in like, um, I don't remember the exact time period, but old timey New Zealand. Um, oh, and it's it's really good. Old timey New Zealand. You mean like Lord of the Rings? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That. I, I was thinking. So the only one I, I was able to think of was um, I already forgot her name. It was the woman who did the Hurt Locker. Oh, Catherine Bigelow. Catherine Bigelow, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other one who's been getting a lot of very well-deserved praise lately is um, Celine Sciamma, and I'm probably butchering her name, um, but she did Portrait of a Lady on Fire and Petite Maman. Um, Okay, I've heard of both of those. I haven't seen either of them, but... I haven't seen Portrait of a Lady on Fire, but I did see Petite Maman, and oh my god, what a fucking gorgeous movie. Um absolutely excellent send me um, send me something so i remember to look this up later yeah yeah definitely please um, uh i'm very curious also she hasn't gotten as much credit as she deserves in my opinion but um gina prince blythewood as well she has a new movie coming out later this year which i am personally very hyped for um Shit, I can't remember the cast now, but I remember being very excited when I saw them. Um, All you can remember now is Baywatch. I I wish that were less true than it was. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, she's doing a new one with um, Viola Davis and John Boyega. um, Okay. Which... uh, Both of them are great. Yeah. Um, But yes, the... Fucking movie and TV industry is very sexist. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Uh, moving on from that topic, mm-hmm. let's go back to our guest stars. Next up, we have Chad Power, who plays Bobby Clark. You may know him best as Tum Tum, the youngest Ooh. of the three ninjas. What? <laughs> the young- Do you know the three ninjas? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I've never seen the movies, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, well, they would recast him for the most important one, which is Three Ninjas High Noon at Mega Mountain starring Hulk Hogan, probably because they didn't want him beating up Hulk Hogan. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> that movie's horrible. Don't ever watch Three Ninjas High Noon at Mega Mountain. Holy shit. Know. It's it's three young white kids who have to fight, but the directors told them for every single strike possible— Yell hiya. Ah. It it's it gets old very fast. 
I can believe it. It sounds like it would. Yep. Uh, otherwise, he didn't do much. His movie career lasts four years, 10 credits. Two of them are Baywatch. Wow. <laughs> Just sad. Uh, he was in some poker stuff later, but that was as himself. So, like, mm-hmm. short career. Uh, next up, John Rubino is uncredited in this episode. He did do whatever he did here, but <laughs> it was in between recording voices for SWAT cats and Dennis the Menace. Sure, uh, sure. He does a lot. Of, he's like been in every Mass Effect game as oh. a character who I had to look up and I was like, I don't remember this character. Seems important. I don't remember him. Um, yeah, he he does a lot of video a game and animated show voices. Um Next up is Don Most, who plays Roger Clark. I like his name, Don Most. That's a cool name. Yeah, it's a very, like, old-timey radio announcer name. Yeah. Which I'm yeah. into. Uh, he's best known for the role of Ralph Malf in Happy Days. <laughs> it's a great name. Uh, that is an excellent name. You may also know him for the role of Rusty Pillsbury in Glee. Sure. That role is horrible. Okay, so Rusty Pillsbury, I'm this is verbatim from the show. Mm -hmm. Okay, like someone actually describes him as this. He is a ginger supremacist. Oh, no. So he thinks that gingers are the best. And he specifically says in it, because I remember watching this episode, he says that gingers keep the best company. Ugh. his daughter is a ginger. His daughter's one of the main characters played by Gemma Mays. Mm. And. Uh, yeah, that's fucking horrible, but also something absolutely the writers of Glee would write. Yes. They had, there was that Twitter thread recently of like all the weird, like horrible songs from Glee. Oh my God. Like that show. Yeah. There were some catchy moments and so many that were God awful. Like, especially when it came to race or ableism, like Mm. the character in the wheelchair had so many songs that were just like always on the nose, like uh, like always songs about running. Wow, <laughs> it really sucks. Anyways, uh, like like many random actors, Don Moss was on the Dungeons and Dragons TV show. Of course, sure, sure. Also, he was in the movie Stewardess School. Wow. Huh. Um, this zany students, S-T-E-W, dense, ugh, at a wacky flight attendant school, have all sorts of wild and crazy high-flying adventures in this 80s comedy. I don't trust it. No. Absolutely do not trust it. Um, you also may know him as Frankie Dubs in The sure. Ankles. Um, <laughs> I love that. Um Hey, Morgan, uh, read read this uh, description here. Oh, oh boy. Uh, it is about Charlie Jones, a washed up ex-major league baseball or um, ex-major league ball player and how he gets a second chance at life and love by managing a Jewish Orthodox yeshiva baseball team. <laughs> All right. It's well, the Yankees, but it's the Yankles. Oh, Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, 
funny enough, he's also in a bunch of Jesus movies and military roles. Like, you know the type. You've yes, seen. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a bunch of those. So mm-hmm. last up, we have John Sandiford, who plays lifeguard captain Russell. Um, I probably should have gone back through my notes because I kept on calling this character the guy. He's the guy <laughs> with the pro- doing the process at the end. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. You may know him from having 18 out of 20 of his IMDb photos being headshots. Wow. Yeah. Or maybe you know him as Lanny Novak in Triple Cross. Uh, Ooh. I actually like this one. Uh, description. I've never seen it. Three cops become instant millionaires after saving a rich crime victim. They retire from the force and use their money to become flamboyant private detectives. They get involved in cases involving the death of an artist, underworld figures, blackmail, and a fix on baseball games. Sure. Sounds kind of fun. Uh, it, yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, what, copaganda, whatever, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, whatever. Um, or maybe Eli Davis in Kids Don't Tell. Uh, this movie title is as bad as it sounds. Morgan, please read (laughs) this description. When a documentary maker begins to make a film about child sexual abuse, the subjects begin to eat into him and affect his relationship with those around him, particularly his wife. I don't trust it. Yeah, I feel like it's possible to do that well, but I would not have, like, high hopes going into it. Yeah, yeah. Or... Maybe you know him as Ted Johnson in the episode In the Nick of Time from McGee and Me. Morgan, do you know McGee and Me? I've never heard of it before. Is Sparkle there with you? They are not. Ah, Sparkle would probably know about McGee and Me. Morgan, please read this description. The series is intended to help Christian children grow in the Lord. It is about a normal boy and his imaginary friend McGee and how they use the Bible to make it through the pitfalls of growing up. S- sounds great. Mm-hmm. Just, just the wholesome family fun I was looking for. Exactly. Now, I have to talk about a few others here. There's too much good stuff here, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in Black Scorpion. Have you ever heard of Black Scorpion? No. Black Scorpion, uh, which INDB calls a female Batman with a strong story, intriguing characters, good action pacing, and several opportunities for sex. Oh. <laughs> yep. Um, he was also, lastly, in... This may be the fav- my favorite title I've ever read um, in this guest star segment. Yeah. At the moment, I'm thinking that. I'll probably prove myself wrong later. Okay? You ready okay. for it? Sure. Excessive Force 2, Force to Force. <laughs> That's the dumbest. Wow. Like, come on. That's, I mean, you know what? That is excessive force. (laughs) Two. Morgan, please read this description. Uh, Stacy Randall plays Harley, a special force agent turned investigator who arrives on the scene of an apparent mob hit to help the local police. In actuality, she's hunting down Francis Lee. Liddell, her, famer, her former CO and lover, 
who shot her in the head when she turned down his offer to become part of the freelance assassination squad he was forming, ignoring the need for surgery to remove the bullet fragment, which still causes her to have occasional bouts of disorientation. She continues her quest to bring down Liddell before he has the chance to kill a mafia informant being held at the police station. There is a lot going on there. Holy yeah. shit. That's why I had you read it. I was like, I could not keep track of it. Um, yeah. Sounds wild. Um, yes. But I feel like I need to see Excessive Force 1 maybe to really make it make sense. Yeah, probably. Probably. Um, I imagine they're very tightly coupled. Right, right, of course. Uh, now, I did not check if there is an Excessive Force 3, which I'm looking up right now. Um, uh, no, uh, there's an Excessive Force 1, which uh, has James Earl Jones? Okay. Um, that's that's wild. Um, okay, Excessive Force 1 looks normal. Okay, like, okay, you, you gotta look. Here, here's Here's the... The, the the page for Excessive Force 1, right? And there is the poster. Sure, that seems like a normal action movie from 93. Lance Hedrickson, James Earl Jones, Tony Todd. Oh. <laughs> There's the poster for Excessive Force 2. It has taken a very erotic turn. Yeah. Would be my, my guess just from seeing that poster. Yeah, you know, it just seems like... I just found a re- INDB review... Uh, mm-hmm. That is titled "Crop Top Assassin." Wow! Yeah, I uh, I hate it. Well, um, yeah, um, but uh, everyone's apparently mad that it's not a sequel to the first. Okay, sheesh, guys. Um, anyways, we've had some fun here. There's not going to be too much more fun left in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Morgan, have any famous last words? No, no one I can think of. Then, I guess, take us in. All right. Well, we start off with Mitch on the beach laying out seashells. He, in an arrow, for some reason, that I assumed would become relevant later. Oh, but no, it, it doesn't. It did. I mean, not really. Oh, no, it totally does. Wait, what? Because the arrow is pointing to the spot that the kids fall into. Right, I guess. No, he's saying not to go. He's leaving a note for himself to not go there, but then forgets to and beats himself up for it. Oh, I think I missed that part. That's fair. There's, yeah, this episode. <laughs> yeah, this episode's heavy. Um, But after he lays out the seashell arrow, he calls into headquarters to let them know he's going on foot patrol. So someone should take over his tower. Um, now, and he finds mm-hmm. uh, now I, I'm we are we're obviously lifeguard experts. Um, Absolutely. Obviously. Um, but even we sometimes don't know things about um, things, things mm-hmm. about things. That's that's the technical term. Yes. Uh, do you know what an inshore hole is? An inshore hole. No, I do not. Okay, well, I didn't either. Uh, I still don't, uh, because I'm looking it up right now. Cool. Um, There's a link. An inshore hole is a trench in the sand that runs parallel to the shoreline, anywhere from one foot to 50 feet from shore. Uh, They range from only a couple of feet wide and small enough to step over to 20 feet wide and deep enough to submerge a fully grown man standing on his toes. Inshore holes are common 
at long stretches of sandy beach where the longshore current can run freely for a long period of time and distance. Because inshore holes are generally close to shore, they present a significant hazard to young children and unskilled swimmers who expect it to be shallow. Inshore holes can exist in some shore break conditions and are commonly filled with pebbles, shells, and other sharp debris. Uh, so I guess it's it, it makes sense. It's just, you know, there's a giant hole there uh, in the sand or whatever, and mm-hmm. fall into it. I mean, which is, okay. <laughs> which is why Mitch, I think, uh, when he's running, um, I think he, like, falls, or maybe that's later that he falls and trips or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guessing it's because of the inshore hole. I guess so. It just, it feels like an overly descriptive term. I don't know. Maybe it's that's just what life we're not... Yeah, that's what lifeguards are. That's what they do. They, yeah, like, that's fair. I mean, like a rip current is as descriptive as inshore hole. Sure, but I just feel like, like there's not other places that holes could be. Like there's not a water hole. Uh, like the sea doesn't form holes. Uh, well, is there's that one in Maine, right? Uh, oh yeah, that's I, I'm gonna true. look up hole in Maine. That's not <laughs> that. <laughs> okay, this, this this could get me some places. <laughs> uh, uh, just Google in Maine hole. <laughs> oh, I should do that instead. Wait, hold on, hold on a second. I'm not gonna spell it like that either. I'm gonna do Maine <laughs> hole. Okay, I mean, it just gives me manholes. uh, (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. It showed me the wrong thing. Hell yeah, manhole. It's even less, it's even more safe for work. (laughs) Um, Manhole. Yeah, I mean, look, there's some, there's like these, like, whirlpools, I guess. Like a whirlpool is a hole, right? I guess that's true. That's true. You know? I would say a whirlpool is a, is a, is a hole out in the sea or out in the ocean, right? Uh, so holes can appear in more than one place. That's true. I guess what we're learning is that uh, the whole premise of our show is something. I don't know. I thought I would have a joke, but then I didn't. Did you ever see or read Holes? Yes, I've done both, in fact. Uh, I, I never saw the movie. Uh, is it good? Uh, I mean, I feel like I remember it being pretty good. It's, I feel like it's a fairly... Shia LaBeouf, I think, right? It is Shia LaBeouf, yeah, young Shia LaBeouf, um, and some other people who I'm forgetting now. Um, but I don't know, I feel like it's one of those, it's a, it's a very cute, like, kids movie. It's got, I mean, Sigourney Weaver, John Voight, Tim Blake Nelson, like, it's got a pretty good cast. Um, I have a very related... Mm-hmm. Actually, very non-related, but related tangent. Sure. Um, I'll tell you the reason why the tangent makes sense is because Shia LaBeouf is married to someone from who was in a Lars von Trier movie. Okay. Uh, I think it was in Nymphomaniac, I think it was. Possibly. And, I mean, the cast for that was huge, so. Yeah. I've never seen a Lars von Trier film, and so I, I read up on a bunch of them, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I think I'm good. <laughs> you know? They yeah. seem fucked up. I mean, they are. I I actually do really enjoy his stuff. I've only seen Nymphomaniac. Um, but both parts. Watches others. Yeah, both parts. Um, yeah, and it's it's you know it's weird for sure. 
I don't think yeah. anyone, even even Lars von Trier, would argue otherwise. Um, sure. But he is a really interesting filmmaker. Sure. I know he does that style where he's just like, I'm not going to really tell you what happens until it happens. So it's yeah, all like real in quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, I read the plot to Melancholia. Seems weird, but like less tra- traumatically weird. Right. And then there's Antichrist, which mm-hmm. I was like, oh boy, this movie seems excessively fucked up. No thanks. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, so that's that's the tangent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's it. All right. Okay. Well, uh, I guess let's get back into the episode then. Um, luckily, <laughs> this one up. wasn't directed by Lars von Trier because I would hate oh. to take your streak, <laughs> dude. That would be that might be. I don't know if we could handle that. <laughs> yeah, no, that would be pretty wild. I mean, Lars von Trier did do his whole. Um, oh, fucking what was it called? Um, Trier rules for cinema. He created this set of rules that he like tried to make. Um, yeah, Dogma ninety five, um, which was this whole thing that him and a few other filmmakers did to like do some really weird films, but just to kind of like see what could be done with filmmaking. Um, mm. So I'm what I'm saying is that uh, an episode of Baywatch that followed Dogma ninety five would be. Real weird. Um, okay, so what you're saying is this is still not hurting our idea of us writing the truest episode of Baywatch ever. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, may happen one day. Who knows? Yeah. Here's here's the ten rules of Dogma ninety five that our Baywatch episode will have to follow. Okay, okay, I'm ready. Shooting must be done on location. Props and sets must not be brought in. Sure. Okay. That's fine. That's the beach. Sure. Two, sound must never be produced apart from the images or vice versa. So you can only use on set sound. Um, oh, okay. So you can't like put in music video. No, that one's going to be hard. We're going to have to have a band follow us around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, the camera must be handheld which feels okay. appropriate for Baywatch. Um, the film must be in color and you cannot light anything. Um, that would be very interesting for Baywatch. I'd kind of yes. like to see that. Yeah. Um, you are not allowed to do any like filters on your camera. Um, you, it may <laughs> not so weird. It may not contain any superficial action. So no murders or weapons or things. Wait, like why is that, that superficial? I'm I'm not totally clear. I mean, this if it's was a translated film, like, right? That's not superficial. Well, I think the whole point was to only do like mumblecore stuff with it. Uh, um, which okay. mumblecore Baywatch? I'm just saying, could be interesting. It could um, be interesting, but I, I don't know how I feel about that. There's got to be a murder or something. Yeah. Um, you. The film has to take place here and now. The film must okay. be shot in 35 millimeter film. Sure. The director must not be credited. And then this is who who would want to be credited for our Baywatch? The one that I think is going to be hardest for us is genre movies are not acceptable. Okay, but Mumblecore is a genre. Yes, but he means like sci fi and horror and like is what's normally referred to as like a genre movie. So what we do is we just 
do a story of Baywatch. I mean, how's that a genre? Yeah. Is it a genre? Like, it's just, oh man, like I don't, I don't really think Baywatch really fits a straight <laughs> genre. You know, it has multiple things. I mean, it's the beach genre. You know, that famous genre. It's the Baywatch genre. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I'm just saying that I think it would be an interesting experiment that would appeal to, I think, a subsection of precisely the two of us uh, to do a a production of a Baywatch episode using the rules of Dogma 95. So, well, I think, Morgan, we I don't just know, hit us up on Twitter or something. I think we just figured out our episode title is Lars von Trier's Baywatch. <laughs> oh, man. God, that would be something else. And honestly, if he were going to direct any episode out of the ones we've seen so far, this one does feel like the most appropriate one for him. Um, yeah, on a, from what I can remember, I'm sure there are others. We've just <laughs> forgotten about them. But of yeah. recent memory. Yeah. Yeah. Although, although what about Lars, Lars von Trier's like shattered? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I could yeah. actually see shattered other than the part with. The end of the of the second part where it's like the right. fight in the in the pool. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't know about him doing that part, but the rest <laughs> of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, to get back to the episode, um, as Mitch is wandering around the beach, he finds two kids, Chuck and Bobby, who camped on the beach last night. And they're here from Kansas because Bobby just loves the beach so much. Um, but you can't camp on the beach. So Mitch is like, you can't sleep here tomorrow night. But in the meantime, let's go experience the beach. And here's some tips on beaching. Well, well, first, first off, uh, we need to to impart the important lingo here, which is that mm-hmm. they came for Bobby's double digit. Yes. And Mitch goes, what is a double digit? It's his 10th birthday, you fucking Dumbo. Yeah, um, I got to say, I feel like I picked that up pretty immediately. Yeah. Now, um. The, part of the whole thing is like the the brothers they get to pick where they want to go for their birthday for their mm-hmm. double digit apparently right so Bobby has never swam swum swim or swim <laughs> a u e or y I don't know which it was um, uh, in the ocean but he's a very good swimmer and his brother says he's better mm-hmm. and so like this is already introducing like ah Bobby maybe isn't a great swimmer. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Um now also we're introduced to Mitch being like uh let me introduce you to her majesty the sea and like imparting <laughs> that like oh the sea does what it wants to do you can't you can't control the sea um <laughs> but yes yeah, so um Mitch does give us some rules Morgan I have the rules here for you sure uh, please read them first of all take down your tents okay and tell your parents to come talk to me. I'll give them a list of the campsites. All right? Third, swim near a lifeguard tower and wear lots of sunblock. All right? Great rules. Great rules. What? What's the second rule here? Um, I see, first of all, take down your tents. Is the second rule, tell your parents to come talk to me? Because that doesn't, I mean, Morgan, I guess you should so. know. You should know. The second mm-hmm. rule of podcasting is tell your parents <laughs> to come talk to me. Okay? <laughs> I'll give, I'll give them a list of campsites. Okay. Yeah. Now third, please wear sunblock. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean the stuff with the kids at the beginning was 
fine. The kids did seem genuinely very excited. Yeah, which, and like, which helped. Honestly, David Hasselhoff goes into his like season one, like Mitch is adorable kind of acting. Mm-hmm. That's how they write it. It's like, oh man, look at Mitch. He's like a cool dude. He's cute with these kids. Um, which I was like, something's gonna happen to these kids because Mitch hasn't been this cute in a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was nice just seeing him be like a good person. Yeah, exactly. So of course um, they ruined it. No, absolutely. Um, but then uh we get ourselves a little beach montage with a nineties soft rock song. Yeah, so it took me some time to find out what this was. I couldn't find out what it was in the original. So I looked up on Daily Motion the video and went to the end of the credits and just mm-hmm. read what it said there. Oh, that um, makes sense. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know if that's the actual original song or if that's like the 2001 mm. version. I, I don't know. But whatever version that, that is on the Daily Motion one is Ordinary Day by Jim J- Jacobson and this name, which I love, Parthenon Huxley. Wow. That's a great name. That so, is. Jim was apparently the leader of an early 80s avant-garde jazz prog rock project. Of course. Wow, uh, called Ear Dance. <laughs> <laughs> um, his bio actually says that his music was too challenging for 80s listeners who were too used to new wave music. Wow. <laughs> so he decided, screw this. I'm only going to create a library music company where I make samples and loops and make lots of money. Um, <laughs> poor him. So yeah. uh, now Parthenon Huxley was in the Electric Light Orchestra Part 2, which seems so unimportant. I do not want to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so in the remaster, we get my favorite remaster musician, Sean McHugh, doing a song called This Is The Life. Morgan, uh, I have the lyrics for you here. Would you please sing or do your sure. thing with it? Here we go. Right up that hill. As you know, time won't stand still. Sit. We gotta put Either. one foot in front of the other. And understand that we are like brothers. Oh, no. These, I know. I also had a moment of, <laughs> oh, God. No, not the kids. <laughs> Those monsters under your bed are in your head. I'm over the moon here under the sun. This time with you has only just begun. And maybe it's easy for you to see that this is the life. This is the life. This is the life. I'm over the moon here under the sun. This time with you has only just begun. These lyrics are bad. Yes. I wish you could see the hand motions I do while you sing. Um, (laughs) I I get very emphatic with it. I'm like reaching towards the sky. Um, Mm -hmm. I just get really into it when you do it. <laughs> well, I'm glad. <laughs> uh, yeah, this song isn't the best. No. But luckily, it's the only song, because if they put literally any more songs in this, it would ruin the vibe of the episode. Yes. I was very worried that at some point during this, we were going to get another cut to, like, a happy-go-lucky montage, which so far in the episode would have been fine, but, uh, you know, we'll get to it in a sec. But it is, uh, it gets rough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we still have some time before it gets rough because we do. Mitch, Mitch is asking the kids, you having fun yet? Mm-hmm. That's a party down reference. Um, uh. <laughs> so Adam Scott, 
uh, in Party Down is like mm-hmm. an actor who's famous for one commercial where he goes, are we having fun yet? <laughs> and he, he the whole point of the show is that they work party setup. And mm-hmm. so people see him and go, oh, you're that guy from that commercial. Say the line. And I'm not going to say the Say the line. Are we having fun yet? And they're like, yeah, we're having fun. Oh, and he's God. like, I'm going to fucking murder myself. Holy right. shit. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, so he's like, are they having fun yet? And they say, it's all fun. So mm-hmm. Mitch says, uh, to throw a Frisbee on the beach, you need to pass a Frisbee test to yep. make sure you don't knock someone's head off. Mm-hmm. It's playful. And yeah, no, you know, it was a cute little scene. He he then showboats with their Frisbee for a little while. Um, and then eventually, you know, makes him throw it around a little bit. And he's like, OK, you're all good. Um, and then CJ reports that someone fell off their bike. So Mitch starts going to make sure that they're OK. But then uh-oh. CJ goes to help. Oh, uh, right. right. Yeah, CJ does. So she'll be away from her tower. Yes. Um, And then Mitch sees someone surfing in a swimming area and is like, hey, you can't do that. That's dangerous. Um, And then uh, Bobby and Chuck are playing Frisbee near Mitch's seashell arrow when, Ah. uh oh, that Frisbee goes straight in the ocean. This Um, scene has so much. Okay, dear Beef Boys, dear listeners. Mm hmm. um, I don't know if you've ever watched an episode of Baywatch, if you're listening. Maybe you have. Um, something we, we talked about a lot when we started this podcast and haven't really talked about that much lately. Our guests talk about it, but we don't because we're mm-hmm. used to it, is the slow-mo in this yeah. show. Yeah. There is so much slow-mo uh, to yes. the point where we've kind of just gotten used to it. Yeah, This scene has slow-mo that is so abrasive um, because it's Bobby going, I'll go get it. Yeah. Um, which is just like, why did you need to slow-mo that? Um, the slow-mo is like, this is one of the instances where I'm like, I don't hate all of the usage of the slow-mo um, because it's actually used for a purpose. But mm-hmm. God, there's a lot of slow-mo. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, Bobby, uh, Bobby and Chuck both go in after the Frisbee and they get caught in a rip current. Um, and so Mitch notices this and, you know, runs to go and try and save them. But the two of them have drifted pretty far apart, Bobby and Chuck. And, um, oh, wait, did you like that? Uh, when he goes before he goes to save them, he's like walking along the beach and he has like my spidey senses are tingling, but it's for drowning <laughs> kids. <laughs> my help senses are tingling. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was just so like and he does this like Hasselhoff face where he's like this like mm-hmm. heroic smirk of like, I'm going to make a save today. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, he goes in after Bobby and Chuck and. Um, gets to Chuck first and tells Chuck to hold on to his can, but the waves knock Chuck off. And so Mitch is much closer to Chuck. So he, you know, grabs Chuck and keeps him above water and starts heading towards Bobby. Um, Mind you, during this, Bobby, this is a very intense scene. Yeah. Like extremely intense. And because the whole time Bobby is like, Mitch, help. And you can see he's getting thrown against the waves. Like, yeah, these kids Honestly, are pretty good at acting for this scene. Yeah. Um, 
The like, only thing I think that betrays this scene a little bit, and I, I'm glad that they did it and it makes sense, is that because of the like color of the water, you can very clearly tell they are about a foot into the ocean. Like you can oh, almost yeah. see the sand under the water. And it did, it did make it a little bit hard for me to take this seriously, but it's still like, even if it's hard to take seriously, it's still like the traumatic emotion is there. Totally. You know, it's like someone's drowning. That's yeah. pretty traumatic. No, so definitely. Like, there's just a lot of people shouting and a lot of like, help my brother, help my brother. And Mitch mm-hmm. like distraught because he he has that like he does. Uh, you know that um, that trope where someone in an action movie runs down the hallway and they see two ways to go and they look left, they look right and they're like, oh, which way do I go? He does mm-hmm. that, but with saving kids. Yeah, exactly. Um, but as Mitch is on his way to save Bobby, Bobby uh, gets submerged. Hence the submersion of the title Whoa. of this episode. Whoa! Um, <laughs> but it's at this point that CJ uh, notices what's going on and calls for backup and then runs in to help Mitch. Um, and a bunch of other lifeguards show up after a little bit as well. And they're diving underwater to try and find Bobby. Um, and then Stephanie takes Chuck back to his parents. And the parents are like, and the mom especially is trying to like run in and help. And Stephanie's like, no, you know, you'll just get in the way. You'll cause more trouble for the lifeguards. And honestly, I think the the mom's acting in this is some of the best we've ever seen in Baywatch. I, um, I, I thought she was genuinely very good. The parts where she's like distraught. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. rest of the episode, I'm like, okay, sure, whatever. But yeah, yeah. The part, I'm like, oh, okay, I actually believe this. Mo- this is a mom who's like, oh my god, my son is drowning. Yeah. You know, she's she is screaming. Props. Yeah. Props to her vocal cords. No, I did have a, I did have the brief, slightly morbid thought during the scene of like, oh, so Ari Aster directed this, uh, this episode. Uh, he has a thing about making women. Uh, give big, impassioned, terrifying screams because their children are either dead or in danger. Um, Yikes, that sounds fucked up. Yes, his movies are are very fucked up. What what Uh, I have seen. I mean, he's only done two. He's done Hereditary and Midsummer. Oh, those ones. Oh, okay. Uh, Mm -hmm. Still, he was was supposed to show... Mm -hmm. You first. I was going to say, he was supposed to show another movie at Cannes this year, um... But his cut was three and a half hours, and A24 oh, yeah. was like, we are absolutely not showing that three and a half hour cut at Cannes. Um, and I personally hope that we get to see that cut. I, I, I was going to say, uh, Morgan, I uh, still said that uh, the only person who could ever get me to watch Midsummer would be you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll uh, have to do it one of these days. I love I, Midsummer. Yeah, we talked about this like, a while ago that like oh, yeah. let's watch Midsummer and I was like I'll need some lights on you said Michael you have to turn the lights off and I was like oh my god because no. <laughs> I'm a scaredy cat about everything yeah no that's fair I I mean Hereditary is much scarier than Midsummer in my opinion so I think we definitely start with Midsummer uh, okay, and then we watch Hereditary okay I mean if you're down oh uh, sure we'll we'll do it sure <laughs> um but yeah no I it, it my film nerd was like, aha, it's an Ari Aster episode, which, again, I think is a joke mostly just for me. Um, <laughs> what is our podcast if not jokes for us? That is very true. 
Um, but eventually we do get to see Bobby floating underwater and then uh, Numi is finally the one who finds him and he and Mitch get Bobby to shore, it, but he is so, unconscious. So, so Numi mm-hmm. is in the boat with Barnett and they're driving mm-hmm. around trying to find him. He spots and dives in. Mitch just appears out of nowhere. Like, I got to yeah. be there for this save, too. Yes, I I was wondering about that during the episode. <laughs> it like I know it's a it, like I've seen the running joke of Mitch going my save, but like mm-hmm. this is like flagrant. <laughs> yeah, no, it seriously is. But once the two of them get Bobby to the shore, he is completely unconscious. Um, and they're doing CPR and using the defibrillator on the way to Which, the hospital, but none of it is working. This this is the part where I'm like. Can you let off on the slow-mo? Yeah. they use the defibrillator on Bobby. And every time it shocks him, they slow-mo him. Yeah. Like, reacting. And I'm like, that's not necessary. They were definitely like, guys, we need 30 seconds more. Also, (laughs) this scene. um, I have some thoughts about this scene. Yeah. Um, This is not good television. No. This is, it's legitimately i'm not even joking here the exact same lines over and over in triplicate yeah because they have to they're like we use the defibrillator three times so Mm -hmm. it's the defibrillator makes noises and says like things like shocking or like pulse ready or 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 no pulse or whatever right and it's just the same thing so it goes on for like a minute and a half two minutes yeah of and like this is good if you're going for realism. Realism right. is not needed in Baywatch. So like, yeah, and has never been a priority for them before. Like with very few exceptions. Yeah, very few. Ex- there have been some times where it's like lifeguarding procedures are a must, and that's how we know about the shit that we know about mm-hmm. when it comes to lifeguarding is when they do that. And, right. I mean, okay, great. We learn about something here, but like the amount of technical stuff here. Yeah. In this episode is it, it's wild. It, it, it doesn't make any like it makes sense, I guess, because they didn't have enough content mm. and they didn't want to do a B plot, which uh, would be weird to be doing a B, B plot. Yeah. Oh, no, definitely. Uh, I was I, very glad that they did not attempt some like cheesy B plot. Well, it'll be like going on. S- Summer got too much ketchup on her French fries. <laughs> <laughs> Matt is going to go beat up the chef. <laughs> Honestly, I kind of want that, though. Yeah, I, no, actually, I do want to see that. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so this this is just it, because so this scene goes from this to they get him in an ambulance Mitch is doing chest compressions. They get to the hospital. We're still getting hyper-realism. It's just extending the point that he's like, whatever, right? Yeah. Um, and at this point, I thought he was dead. He's, he doesn't die. Spoilers. Um, right. And I they, was really worried. That's where they were going well, with it for a lot of this episode. Remember, like, when they went to season two, they were like, stop killing kids. And like, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... Uh, then they do like the in hospital full paddle defibrillator right. again in slow mo, just so Mitch can look on. Like if you look at this from a really demented sense of like artistic value of like, oh, you're going through all this so you can understand how traumatized Mitch is that he saw all this. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, if this is Lars von Trier's Baywatch, <laughs> sure. But this is 
Gus Traconis's Baywatch. It's not the same mm-hmm. thing, right? It's just like they're showing you this so that they have space to fill. So right. Mitch is just simply looking on in horror at all of this for no reason. Right. You know, the, the key to the trauma is the actual scene after this when his family comes back in. Yeah. Uh, and and his mom is shouting, like, how could you let this happen to my baby? Where were you? You were a lifeguard. You're supposed to protect him. Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's the real part where it's like, oh, okay, now I can establish, like, oh, shit, this is kind of pretty real. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not bored <laughs> anymore about a kid dying. <laughs> Which, sorry, but, like, that's the truth. Yeah, no, it, it takes a while for it to really get into the meat of things. Um, but, yeah, eventually, like you said, you know, they get him they get him up and conscious or at least back into a coma. Um, right, right. Like, right. he's got sinusoidal rhythm. Um, and so it's good as a as a as a doctor it's, myself. I know. Oh, that yeah. Su- sinusoidal rhythm is the good thing that I want. Mm hmm. Yeah, uh, as opposed to uh, <laughs> co-sinusoidal, you know. Exactly. I don't want right. tangential rhythm in my heart. Right, right. Um, do you, what would you say you're a doctor of, Morgan? Uh, Baywatchology. <laughs> Shit, that's, that's useless. <laughs> <laughs> that's worse than useless. Holy You cow. are not wrong. <laughs> Shit, I guess that means I have one too, which. Probably. Gotta update my resume. On the plus side, at least it's just honorary, so we didn't have to pay for it. I I did actually have a job interview recently where I mentioned this podcast. And I was like, afterwards, I was like, that was a horrible idea. Why did I do that? Um, (laughs) But they they laughed at it, and I was like, okay, great. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Never do that again. (laughs) (laughs) Um. But yes, uh, eventually, once he's back in the hospital and having a stable like pulse and heart rhythm, um, Mitch uh, tells the parents that like, hey, you know, he's not dead and he's probably not going to die right away. Um, and the mother is, you know, very understandably yelling at Mitch, um, who looks like he is just fully disassociating at this point. Um, oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, shit, like, this is very real. Um, (laughs) This episode, besides just the medical stuff, is hyper realistic in many ways. No, totally. I, you know, the depiction of PTSD in this feels feels very realistic and accurate. Yeah, Um, the hyper realism actually drops it some points and raises it some points. It's sinusoidal. It's, yeah. it's like it's like poetry. It rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> Did, oh, there, OK, really random side point. Mm-hmm. I saw this is nothing new, but I saw something about Watto from episode one uh, mm-hmm. the other day talking about how like it's uh, ep- Star Wars. Episode one is there. There's movies that are more racist than. Sure. It, sure. But it is the most. Like uh, consistently. Uh, racist movie that is also like, um, like racist in like a positive way. It's racist to everyone. Um, sure. Because sure. Every single race possible 
finds <laughs> characters more than one in that movie racist to right. them. Right. So it's like you created the perfect racist character, George. <laughs> Three times. Good job. Yeah. Like that takes effort. It really does. Everybody uh, else is operating on like one one degree of racism where you're like, fuck it, 25, let's go. Yeah, yeah, you know, better is or more is better. And I guess when it comes to racist characters in Star Wars, triples are best, <laughs> triples are best. Absolutely. Um, but then we get a, a short little scene where Mitch is sitting on a bench by the beach uh, when Hobie skates by, it's just kind of like, hey, what's up? And Mitch just hugs him. Um, Hobie's more excited than he ever has been to see his old man. Just yeah. So Mitch can hug him. Yeah. Um, but then uh, Mitch starts having some flashbacks about the rescue with some just truly horrifying vocal effects on, yeah. the, on the kids' lines. <laughs> yeah. They start distorting uh, oh, yeah. audio. It, it's creepy. Yeah, it is, like, legit some horror movie shit. Um, Especially when it's matched with these, like, very rapid cuts of kids drowning. Like, (laughs) it's it's pretty horrifying. Yeah. Um, But then we see that Mitch is in a debriefing for the rescue. Oh, before Um, that, before that, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Mitch wakes up from his nightmare shouting for Hobie. uh, Right. He'd been talking to Hobie earlier, uh, and Hobie was kind of like armchair psychologist uh, helping Mitch deal with the trauma, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, because Mitch is just, uh, Mitch has hit PTSD at this point. He won't admit yeah. it. but like, yeah. Oh, no, for sure. He He's fully traumatized uh, and just kind of talking about well, it's double digit would have been tomorrow, even though I didn't know what double digit was before today. You know? <laughs> um, and Hobie has to say things like it'll still be tomorrow. Uh, right. And and like he could be OK. And Mitch says to his son, not everyone is always OK. People make mistakes and then other people die. Yeah. Yeah. Your there kid was is like 12. <laughs> there was definitely a level of like using Hobie as his like psychologist that that isn't great to do with your kid. No, um, but it's realistic <laughs> for Mitch to do it. I definitely agree with that. Like, um, like that's not bad writing in my. No, opinion. not at all. I, I don't think so. Um, but yeah. Um, after that, yeah, we see Mitch in a debriefing for the rescue and it seems like Bobby is probably going to be mostly Okay. Um, and Mitch basically, you know, goes on a, a whole tangent, not tangent, a whole speech about how, you know, he feels like this is entirely his fault and he should have been able to prevent Bobby mm-hmm. from feeling these effects. And, you know, it's very well written. It, it feels accurate to, you know, at least my understanding of like survivor's guilt type of stuff and PTSD. Um, I was going to say, it sounds like. A proper anxiety. I was just like, it sounds yeah. like how I talk to myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally. Um, but, you know, CJ and Stephanie are there and are talking to him about like, you know, listen, there's nothing else you could have done. Like if you hadn't gone after Chuck, then it would be Chuck in this situation, not Bobby. 
Um, right. and Chuck was much closer, so it makes sense that you saved him. Like, they, it would have been stupid to go after Bobby. The line that I think hits the hardest here is uh, the captain is during the debriefing says, mm. what if you made the other choice and saved Bobby and lost Chuck? Is his life any less valuable? Right. Which, yeah. Which Mitch does not have an answer to. So right. everyone is kind of just trying to tell him. And even the guy doing all the process is like, Mitch, you're amazing at your job. Like right. you saved a life and did the proper thing. Yeah. And, there's so much circumstance to this happening that, like, you can't blame yourself for it. But he's got Yeah, it, so. totally. No, I mean, and not just, you know, not just saved a life, but probably saved both of them. Like, right. Um, but, yeah, no, it was, it, I, I do genuinely feel like this episode was pretty good. Yeah. Um, but after that, um, we see Mitch trying to go to his tower the next day. And Stephanie is like, hey, absolutely not. Like, you are in no position to be working any tower, much less the same tower. And he's basically like, well, how the hell am I supposed to heal if I can't jump right back into it? And Stephanie's like, listen, you haven't even like you haven't even had an evaluation to make sure that it's safe for you to be doing this right now. Like not just safe for you, but safe for everyone else. Like, are you going to freeze up? Next time you see someone starting to drown, like, you Which, know, it's I was honestly taken aback by what they chose to write in response to that. Mm-hmm. Which first Mitch says, I know the test. I know everything's going to be said, which basically him saying is I could easily pass any psych eval because I right. could cheat it, which yeah. uh, maybe you should just write a new test. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but is accurate to, I bet, how they actually do it. Um, oh, for sure. And then Stephanie, like, okay, I was shocked here. Like, when did David Braff open up, like, a book? And Yeah. Because uh, start, <laughs> Stephanie starts talking about critical incident stress disorder, which is real. Mm-hmm. She lists uh, symptoms, which are feelings of guilt, withdrawal, and depression, outbreaks of hostility, which he is all, which are all accurate. Uh, which he is all displaying and then says uh, she starts talking about the signs of PTSD and like how many things he's experienced that could be traumatic and you know how bad it could be. And I'm like, where was all this before? God, I know. Like, obviously I don't want every episode to be this heavy. No, because uh, it, would it could not be. be your least fun of a show, but I would like every episode to be this well written. Like, <laughs> then it wouldn't be Baywatch. Well, that's true. It would be a much less uh, exciting <laughs> podcast, I suppose. Oh, at that it point. would. We would have if every episode was this, like specifically like this. We would have mm-hmm. quit a long time ago because it'd be oh for rough. sure. It would just yeah. be like I can't handle the trauma of this. Mm-hmm. You know, but like Stephanie just keeps making insanely good points about yeah about trauma. Um, which, yeah. Are accurate. Great totally. job, Baywatch. And uh, then at the end, Mitch says, you got to wait to see how Bobby does before you worry about me. So she advises him to go on a run. Mm-hmm. And then Which we get. He does. <laughs> this run is fucked up. Um, yes. <laughs> tell us about it. Yeah, this run, he is running. But as it's going on, he's getting like flashbacks of the rescue going on and yes. seeing, you know, seeing Bobby's submerged body and like 
It's yeah, no, it's pretty horrifying. Yeah, um, audio starts distorting even more than it was before. Yeah, as his yeah. trauma gets worse, the audio gets worse, and mm-hmm. he's clenching his teeth like looks insanely angry. Yeah, um, and then he just like falls and does this like like superhero movie slash um um oh my god uh. Why can't I remember the greatest movie of all time? <laughs> it's it, uh, the prison movie with Tim Robbins. Shawshank Redemption? The prison movie. Yes. <laughs> uh, Shawshank Redemption. So it's he does this pose as like half Shawshank, half superhero pose where he goes into the water, just goes, ah! Yeah. <laughs> um, but, and then we get another weird scene. Not weird, yes. but like, oh boy, rough scene. Yeah. Which is that he he sees some kids in the water who uh, look like they're in trouble, so he runs in to try and save them. Um, but thankfully, Numi is there as well and comes over, and it turns out that, you know, these kids are just surfing. Like, yeah. they're, not, they're not in danger, nothing's going on. But, you know, Mitch is in this trauma headspace where it's hard for him to not see this as potential danger. Um And so he, you know, goes into full rescue mode and is trying to, like, pull them out of the water as they're like, hey, what the fuck? We're not doing anything wrong. Like, we're okay. Um, And Numi eventually is like, hey, leave it alone. Go take a break. Like, Mm -hmm. clearly you're not doing so hot right now. Um, But then Mitch and Stephanie, we see them sitting at the jetty on some rocks, just like kind of talking about everything that went on and talking about PTSD and stuff, um, which I thought was a really good conversation from what I remember of it. Yeah. Mitch says, um, he would have been, he keeps on blaming himself. Still. He says he would have been more focused if, if it were more, if the beach had been more packed and he yeah. was too relaxed because everything seemed so secure. So he took things for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, he then says, I told that little boy, that the ocean would wash his footprints all the way to Hawaii, and he actually believed me. Um, mm-hmm. And just, like, him feeling the guilt for, like, not being stricter as well, you know? It's just he's going through every possible emotion kind of all at once yeah. here. Yeah. Um, and he decides that what he needs to do is go to the hospital. And mm-hmm. Stephanie has the correct response, which is, you're... The parents might not want you there. Right. He says the correct response for someone who's not thinking correctly, which is, I think that them venting their rage at me might help. And Mm -hmm. Stephanie says the incorrect response to that, which is, okay, I'll go with you. Yeah. Yeah. Which they they had to, I get it, they had to, otherwise it would have been a bad plot point. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he he heads to the hospital, um, but... Before he does that, or I forget when exactly this happens, um, Hobie gives Mitch his lucky marble to give to Bobby. Yeah, um, it, yeah, a little bit. Um, he, they first go and talk to the doctor, which right, um, right. This this is a horrible line from the doctor, but like accurate. They say mm-hmm. doc. Well, they don't say doc. <laughs> They're yeah. like doc. What are the chances, uh, doctor? What are the chances? Uh, uh, of 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 what's happening, and he goes, "Well, the chances are anything from permanent coma to full recovery." Yes. <laughs> okay, that's the gamut. I, I mean, other than death, 
yeah, yeah, basically, okay. Well, that also doesn't tell them what the chances are. It tells them what the outcomes might be, but not what the chances of them are. Counterpoint. <laughs> this feels accurate for the American medical system. That is absolutely true. So I'm going to um, say hyperrealism <laughs> wins again. <laughs> yeah, no fair. Um, but yeah, um, Mitch and Stephanie stop by Bobby's room while his mom is there, and they, you know, she's still pretty mad at Mitch. You know, not... It's it's completely understandable, even if it's not necessarily fully justified, I guess. I don't even like saying it's not justified because, like, you know, her son's in a coma. She's lashing right. out like, no, it's not actually Mitch's fault. But like, it's very understandable why she is feeling that way. It's understandable. And she comes off as a bad person. But mm-hmm. like, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I don't even feel like she necessarily comes across as a bad person. Oh, just, absolutely she is. Like, it's not Mitch's fault. Y- yeah, I mean, I don't know. It just, you know, it feels much more like she is just going through. Like, I don't feel like it's okay what she did, but That's I don't feel I like. Mean. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes more sense. Um, but yeah. Um, as By the way, as Morgan mentioned, there was this marble. It's mm-hmm. Kobe's Lucky Marble. Uh, yes. And uh, he always holds it when he wants things to go his way. So Mitch and Hobie talked about it and they decided that Bobby should have it. To yes. Give it to Bobby. Um, this lucky marble that has uh, never come up before in the series. And I mean, I'm it's assuming not that important. never will again. <laughs> it's a fucking marble. Like, <laughs> no, I know. It's just very funny because they present oh, the it in the episode as like. This is my lucky marble, you know, the thing I'm very passionate about and have been in love, you know, have been carrying forever. Well, it's like, OK, it's not like, you know, they need an episode where it's like Hobie loses his lucky pod, you know, <laughs> like that. Right. It's like, OK, Hobie's a kid in the 90s. He probably has pogs or you know, marble. Yeah. Or shit. I'm yeah. just saying he just competed for a shit ton of A&W cream soda. The Which least Mitch drank all of Will it's true. Um, but the least he could have done was like, you know, prayed to his lucky marble before the competition or something. I'm just saying we need mm. we need more in universe continuity or else this show just isn't going to work. You're, um, you're right. <laughs> this show is going to stop working middle of season four. Yes, because of a lack of in universe continuity, because of a lack <laughs> of marble in the yeah. show. Um, mm-hmm. Now, so Bobby's mom sees the marble Gets mm-hmm. the marble and says, wish you'd given that to him yesterday, which, oh, OK. Uh, yeah. And again, blames Mitch. She, she, she's been blaming Mitch a lot in saying, you know, it's it's his fault during this right. situation. And so the husband shows up with the, with Chuck, the other son, and is like, uh, no, stop. Like, don't don't do it. Yeah. Um, Stephanie comes in and talks to her and is like. I understand your grief and your bitterness. And I'm like, you don't because you're not a a mother. Um, But anyways, I sure, I guess she does. But if it wasn't for Mitch, both kids might have died. And the dad says, it's not Mitch's fault. And that finally hearing Mm -hmm. that Mitch is free of blame. (laughs) Now it's okay for Bobby to open his eyes. Yes. The marble. 
Well, specifically, we get a um, a sense and sensibility style hand flex around the marble, um, yes. and uh, and Bobby wakes up and everything's good and fine, and uh, that oh yeah, the line specifically is that the mom says that uh, Mitch and Stephanie are just here to admire the results of their handiwork, which I was like, holy fucking shit. Oh, yeah, that's like that up. is bleak. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember her line after Bobby wakes up? No, I don't think I do. She says, um, the, the doctor goes, what is this marble thing? And she goes, it's Bobby's double digit birthday present from the man who saved Bobby's life. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, you changed your tone pretty quickly there. Like, I get it's yeah. TV, but like, okay, calm calm down. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then that's that's the end of the episode. Oh, Bobby well, no, wakes no, no, up. No, 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 no. Oh, we need sure. to we need to tell the one joke through all of this, which is oh. Chuck Chuck says, Once you're out of that bed, Mitch should let uh, should teach you how to throw a frisbee straight. Right. Which I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. and you can see like the dad like kind of lose his shit a little bit, just being like, oh my God, that's fucking hilarious. Um, <laughs> but he can't like fully show that. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, um, it, it ends on the shot of Bobby and Mitch shaking hands. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and that's, yeah, that's and now, the episode. Now Mitch is fully cured of his PTSD. That's all it took. Yep. To, to deal with PTSD. That's how that works, right? <laughs> yeah. So we have some reviews here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have three reviews. I'm going to read to you all of them. Uh, one of them is longer than the other. Um, sure. So I might have you read that one. Okay. Uh, um, but no one likes this episode uh, of the reviews, which I disagree with because uh, I liked it. So Bombers Fly Up, again, titles their review. Baywatch, um, three out of ten. Uh, says, Mitch couldn't fail. That'd be too much. Let's get him really close, then get a smile at the end. Mockishness in abundance. Sure. Okay. Sure. Um, Sandcrab722 gives it a one and says, Buchanan's trousers aflame. Uh, what? Yeah, okay, I know. Mitch lies about footprints and frisbees, and Karma smacks his... R- Okay, this is such a weird sentence. Smacks his ass right into the into the exclamation point asterisk pound sign percent sign dollar sign ampersand exclamation point asterisk exclamation point at sign house. He had it come. Huh. Um, sure. If, then says if you miss Danny Moss or get off on the hoff in emotional agony, this is the ep for you. Otherwise, skip it. Huh. Okay, uh, now we have a person who's uh, I've never seen them review before, uh, probably because this review is from 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, and it says so bad, it's not good, just bad. It's a three out of ten uh, from T.T. Apola. Uh, Morgan, uh, if you want to read all of this. Um, sure. Go for it. I really should learn to keep my TV shut when I'm not watching. Again, Baywatch sneaked on me, and I'm doing my civic duty here to warn people from watching this tripe. When Baywatch goes serious, types of episodes tend to turn out really bad, and this is no exception. 
Two boys need rescuing, and Mitch makes a decision which results in the first boy being just okay, the second boy ending up in a hospital, where the doctor tells Mitch that the boy's chances are anything from permanent coma to full recovery. Can you guess how it ends? Thought so. I would like to take umbrage with this reviewer right here and say, did you want the boy to die? (laughs) Um, That's not a full recovery. (laughs) Yeah, no. Um... Kill kids, kill kids. (laughs) Um, But yeah, basically they just over and over complain about Mitch starting to feel PTSD and the parents or the mom especially blaming him for it. And yeah, I I don't know. It feels like very understandably a lot of these people are watching Baywatch because it is for the most part light and fluffy. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that inherently. Like, you know, not all media needs to be dark, serious retellings of trauma. Like, uh, that would get depressing really fast. Absolutely. um, As someone who doesn't really like Baywatch when it's super light and fluffy, I I think I kind of prefer these more serious episodes. I mean, you say that, but we have the same favorite episodes of Baywatch, which are the most corny ones. That is true. That is true. You know, I so I I think like, you know, actually, you know, let's let's get to our ratings first. Yeah, let's do our ratings. So our rating scale again for season four is uh, one to ten. One is going through puberty a second time because you got recast. Ten is your parents are divorced, but it's okay because your dad is David Hasselhoff and he's the coolest. Morgan, how would you rate this episode? Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, I do think it did a, a fairly reasonable job. Uh, of depicting PTSD, at least, you know, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not a psychologist. I don't have clinical or Mm. personal experience with PTSD. Mm. (laughs) Um, thankfully, but you know, I certainly felt like it was at least trying, um, and didn't feel anything. I didn't personally feel like it was particularly egregious in its depiction at the very least. Um, and, you know, I think that they handled it with a good amount of, like, seriousness and weight and didn't, like we were saying, try and put some terrible B-plot in the middle of this. Then again, um, our B-plot idea is pretty great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I wouldn't watch that cut. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think overall, I think I give this one a seven. Um, I think there was some fairly good acting in it. Um, I think that it, you know, especially in the nineties, like discussions of mental health were not nearly as prevalent and it was, you know, tackling it in a way that feels probably fairly approachable, all things considered. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll give it a seven, um, and I will say that a seven is um, a seven is the experience of you, you know, you go camping on the beach, but then some shitty lifeguard is like, hey, fuck you, kids, you can't camp here. Um, and so it seems like your birthday is going to be ruined. But then it turns out he's pretty good at Frisbee and he's willing to teach you. So vacation mostly saved. Um, how about you, Michael? Um, I'm going to give it a little bit higher than you. I'm going to give it an eight. I, I liked it a lot. I, I gave yeah. it an eight and not like a nine because of the hyper realism of the all the like defibrillator stuff, mm-hmm. which is just too long. Um, But like, as you said, like, man, Baywatch 
hit hard with the mental health. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was not expecting it and uh I was not expecting it to be handled. So I think I was expecting it if it is discussed to just be discussed and not handled. It's right. discussed and handled. Uh I mean to the degree that you can in a forty minute episode of television that in the nineties right, with the writers that actually were working with you. Right. Know. And it's just like one off. But like yeah. you know, it doesn't at all say Mitch's trauma and PTSD has gone away. Right. Doesn't does he doesn't get better. It doesn't mm-hmm. wait that away. Um it doesn't say that Bobby is like full recovery. Like he could never walk again. I don't know. He could have yeah. breathing problems the rest of his life. All we know is literally he can lift his arm. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So like I I was like, great. Like the only thing that's like you know, uh, uh, like last minute redacted is the mom's hate, which right. I'm f- completely fine with because I get it's television. Sure. So like I, I think it was a pretty good episode of television. Like, yeah. uh, I might actually suggest this to someone to watch a, yeah. an episode of Baywatch. Um, and I like this episode of television. Like, you know, yeah. I, I know we, we there's like Baywatch liking and there's TV show liking. It feels <laughs> unfair to Baywatch. But like, I, I really like this episode of television. Will yeah. I watch it again? I don't know. It's pretty rough. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine why I would. But right. I'm, you know, I don't hate that I watched this one. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I don't hate that I watch most episodes of Baywatch. Yes. Yeah. But I, I'm not like, man really worth my time you know, mm-hmm. other than doing this great podcast um we're two men um uh, <laughs> now uh as far as what an eight is um did you see that recent controversy about sweden no about white people in sweden not at all so people are complaining that in sweden uh this is really dumb Uh, If you go to someone's house for dinner, like as a kid, and they'll say like, oh, hey, my my mom's making dinner. They're not saying, oh, yeah, we're making dinner for you, too. They're saying you should bring your own food. Oh. Uh, And so people from like Sweden are saying things like, yeah, like it's normal. Like my friend would have dinner and he'd say, oh, wait here in my room until I'm done with dinner. Wow. Uh, And a bunch of people were like. Yeah, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. Why would parents not make food for you? It's just a cultural thing. It's just completely a cultural thing. But it's like, um, I saw this image. um, Oh, uh, I got to share this image for you. It's it's not here on my... I think I know the one you're talking about. The, like, color-coded map of, like, what to expect when you go over to someone's house for dinner. Is that Will you receive food as a guest yeah, at yeah. someone's house. Yeah, I know um, what you're talking about. Well, I'll, I'll take a picture of it and put it here in the um, put it here in our chat here so we can uh, put it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, as someone who, uh, you know, comes from a family that is uh, partially a Mediterranean, um, that would be wild yeah. uh, to me uh, for someone to do that. Um, like, because my mother would basically... Uh, would feel offended if you didn't eat food that she made for you. Oh, um, God, yeah. 
this is the inverse, apparently, that they'd be offended if you did eat the, eat the food that they made for you. Uh, no, I mean, it's it's the same with, you know, coming from an Italian family. Like, oh, absolutely. You know, we go to my grandparents' house and, like, my, my grandfather will go to the grocery store and be like, all right, anyone need anything? And we'll be like, no, we just ate. We're fine. I'll be like, all right, I won't get anything. So he comes back with, you know, three different kinds of salami and exactly. bread and prosciutto and ham. And it's like, oh, well, you know, I just didn't, I didn't want to get any food. So just here, here we go. Here's, here's, you know, just this stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this feels very, uh, very accurate, um, mm-hmm. to also to my life. Um, and I, so an eight is basically the experience of, um, all of Twitter finding a common enemy, but like realizing it's not like an enemy. It's just like, huh, I guess we're all ignorant. Yeah. You know, it's like <laughs> the first time that everyone's like, we're kind of ignorant about white people, huh? <laughs> Which is very funny as a statement. Everyone just goes, yeah. and like, I saw all these people who are not white going like, what's wrong with white people? And then everyone, and then them being like, okay, look for the first time ever, I'm going to say this. It's not all white people. Okay. I'm sorry. It's just the <laughs> Swedish ones. Okay. Yeah. Like, it's just, yeah. what's wrong with them. And so I thought it was really funny that everyone on Twitter kind of had this like fun moment of like, okay, I guess we actually learned something new about a white culture. Cool. Yeah. Great. Um, so yeah, that's an eight out of 10. It's like, you know, it's not, the best thing it's just, it's like it's funny it's good it's wholesome um yeah. and like the that's the inverse of this episode this episode's not wholesome. <laughs> um, but like you know i liked it um yeah. so now it comes to talking about next episode uh which mm-hmm. we will have a guest for um and it's a very interesting episode to have after this um just yes. in terms of like tonal tonal shift yeah we know because we've already recorded it Yes. Um, and that is uh, called Iron Man Buchanan. And IMDb description is, while in training for California's annual Iron Man competition, Mitch is taught various spiritual moves by, a <laughs> this is a great <laughs> sentence, by a young Zen freak woman oh, uh, God. named Destiny, who develops a crush on Mitch after he saves her from drowning. Meanwhile, Matt, still living with Stephanie and CJ, takes a night job at Hustling Pool. What? <laughs> what does that mean? At Hustling Pool. Oh, at Hustling Pool. Yeah. He takes a job at a grocery store. What? Yeah. Okay. At Hustling Pool in order to pay for a... Unless Hustling Pool is the name of a grocery store, in which case, pick a better name. Yeah, uh, what? <laughs> in order to pay for a new motorcycle from a very shady woman who's trying to sell it to him. Uh-huh. Garner videotapes a co a co called documentary on Mitch in training, and Jackie plans with Ben to throw a surprise party for Mitch. Also, Destiny gives Summer spiritual advice after a after she a strange near death experience after <laughs> she nearly drowns from a hit on the head trying to help. And this is one of my favorite words in English: a windjammer. Ah. Uh. Very good. Yeah. Um, which uh, it, it's my one of my favorite words because there's this like, like semi, I guess, semi famous YouTube clip. You know, the angry video game nerd is uh, vaguely. Yeah. Uh, there is this video where he was like reading fan mail um, and he got sent fan mail by someone who uh, clearly English wasn't their first language. And um 
they said uh, this line of be like a windjammer when you fuck. <laughs> and he like loses it. He cannot hold himself for the rest of the video. He's like, yeah. this is the funniest line I've ever read in my entire life. <laughs> uh, so that's why I love that word. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that's that's our episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lars yeah, von Trier, he did it. Great job, yeah. Lars. <laughs> Give this man an Emmy. Um, I mean, an Emmy? Why not like an Oscar? Well, because you can't win an Oscar for a TV episode. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, Golden Globe, Golden Globe. What would you? Do you think it makes more <laughs> sense for for Baywatch to have an Emmy or a Golden Globe? Neither. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but the thing I do want to give out is a very heartfelt thank you all so much Good for listening transition. to this episode of uh, Baywatch Rookie School. Thank you. Uh, if you want to find us on Twitter, our show handle is at Rookie School Pod. I'm at Morgan P. Thrap. I am at Snotsnit, S-N-O-T-S-N-I-T. We'll see you next week. And just remember, hips, lips, and fingertips. Amen.